On this episode of Resi Week, Cedia's Wi-Fi 6 white paper, Best Buy had a great Q1, and Samsung's new outdoor TV. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 225, Gravy on Top. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks. Hey, welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, we are pleased to be joined by some good friends of mine. First, we have Samantha Ventura. She is the VP of Education and Training at Cedia. How are you, ma'am? Fine, thank you. It's nice to be here. Nice to see you guys. Good to see you. And then we have our good friend, Jason Knott. He is the Chief Content Officer and Office Manager at CE Pro. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm fine, and don't call me Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's where my head has been yeah. the whole time <laughs> since you went. mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's, uh, let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from Residential Systems. There is a new Cedia white paper that addresses Wi-Fi 6. If you haven't heard of Wi-Fi 6, pull your head out of the sand. It is fantastic and amazing, and we are all highly looking forward to it because it promises higher data rates, more robust connections, and simultaneous data reception and transmission between access points and multiple client devices. The best part about this is obviously Cedia hosted a big webinar as well uh, to accompany this Wi-Fi 6, the next generation in Wi-Fi. Jason, let me start with you on this one. Uh, obviously, Wi-Fi 6 is, is a big deal. It's great that CD put out a white paper and that they have uh, the webinar, and I'm sure that there will be more training classes to come from Cedia and a host of manufacturers of this product uh, or of this tech. Is this something that, I, I hate to use the term game changer because it's so overused, but Wi-Fi 6 has been broadly touted as a major change into networking. Is this something that is just going to become another tool for integrators or is this a, a foundational technology that's going to allow us to really, really, really go after the network hard and say, hey, Wi-Fi 6 is, is so great. It's also complicated to get set up properly, i.e. you need a professional. Well, the, it's never been more apropos than it is right now. You know, the one of the shining spots from this whole coronavirus COVID-19 crisis has been network upgrades. You know, I, I've talked to so many integrators who the demand that they're getting from their client base for network upgrades is, is through the roof. It started as soon as the lockdowns started and it has continued. I just talked to a distributor today and his exact words for all of his networking products were a flying off the shelves and off the charts. So if integrators aren't embracing the network now, um, they never will. I would think the term game changer is a little strong. Um, I still think the, the 5G, uh, the looming 5G change is potentially even more of a game changer than than this but i'm so glad that they went away from the 802.11 dot 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 alphabet soup designations to something more simple but yeah it's never been more apropos than it is right now 
So you didn't like the AX NG four seven niner. I was I was I'm glad that they canceled the national spelling bee this year because it makes me depressed. <laughs> and Jason, your word is and. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Samantha, what I find really interesting about this is to to kind of flip the the topic from the technology side to the to the learning side. Mm-hmm. When we see white papers and, and CD is fantastic at putting out tons of white papers. And if you remember, you get those for free. If you're not, you can pay for them to access them. How do dealers balance timing and, and what they can learn from a white paper versus the webinar on the topic versus taking online education for it? it they're all good and they're all important, but they're as much as we'd like to think everyone's at home and they've got tons of time. No one really does. How, how do you balance that? I think anytime somebody thinks of their learning, they should think about it in a holistic way. And so even just to be reading the articles that come out or different things that are on a specific topic is a really, really good jump into a topic. But the reason a white paper is so important is because it really highlights typically um, a lot of a thought leader's real understanding and deep dive into a topic to help understand maybe a solution about it or to advocate on a specific part about it. Um, And it starts from that place where it really is a a good deep dive into the topic and a better understanding of where it's fitting into the industry. And then from that point on, it should then open up in your mind a level of, oh, I want to explore this topic a little bit more and find out different ways that it actually suits me in terms of relevancy. At that point, then you start to explore what are some of the articles that are out? What are some of the webinars? What are some of the classes I can take? But really always looking back to that guide um, from the perspective of what did the white paper state on this as that authoritative piece, if you will, on the topic in general. So it's really important to think of the learning as um, very holistic in the sense that a lot of it is exploratory. And then there are other pieces that you can get that really add to the relevancy, but also just the legitimacy of it, not just how is it going to be applicable to you? Yeah, very good. All right, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro. Best Buy has retained 81% of their sales during the pandemic. Uh, Jason wrote a great article here, so we'll ask for his uh, thoughts on this in a second. Um, but read through this because it, it, it's quite interesting in the sense that they shut down and went to uh, online and curbside only on March 22nd and had essentially six weeks of Q1 where they were able to essentially be be shut down, uh, but still maintain a 81% of their sales over that period. So if you're somebody who's been sitting at home, not working, depending on the state or country you're in, uh, this is something that should give you encouragement that people are still excited. They're still purchasing products and things. And I know they weren't just buying webcams from Best Buy because everybody's been sold out on those for months. Samantha, when when you see this, this is, I find this encouraging. Uh, I also find it as something where I kind of look at that and go, man, I feel like a lot of those sales could have come to HTPs, but they weren't out in front of this. And some will argue that they can't do that because they can't sell online and there's restrictions and all of that. But I don't think this is just because Best Buy could obviously sell online. So can Amazon, so can everybody else. How to Best Buy did it right. Yeah, it's They positioned themselves correctly from the very beginning about this, this whole thing. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, you're fine. But it's it's really the position. Yeah. 
sorry, that, that's a Corona tongue. Um, <laughs> it's very much the fact that they position themselves properly, that they were in communication with their, with their clients uh, and with their customers. Is that the big takeaway that HTP should have from this, that they need to increase and improve their communication? I would absolutely say that is a huge part of it, but Best Buy did it right. Um, and it's kind of like a perfect storm. If you look at what they did, um, they started this, I think in September of 2019, they put something out. It was a campaign in general that they were going to really focus on digital health. They were not going to just focus on what you wear. You're going to, they were going to look at how that they, they could explore this topic in general. Um, so they were ahead of the curve before we even knew something was coming down the pike. That was lucky, but also I would say um, a little bit of foresight attached to something that I call trend setting in terms of are you looking ahead at what's coming down the pike? So yes, they were probably lucky. Yes, they were blessed in making some really good decisions ahead of time. Then all of this struck and it was like, wow, we were ahead of the curve. But I think there's a big piece to this. It's not just about the communication that comes out about where we're going to be or how we're going to position ourselves. It's a lot about are you always looking two to three steps ahead? I say this often. It's like a chess match. Are you looking ahead to make sure that you're going to be relevant, not just now, but two months from now, six months from now, one year from now, you're reading up on the trends, you're forecasting. And here's where I would say as a leader, you're predicting, you're making calculated risks. You're understanding where this could um, lead to and how you can be on the cusp and the edge of something that is being transformed into maybe something different. So they did all those things and they did them really, really well. Um, and then it just sort of ended up in this perfect storm of success for them. So I was not surprised to see that they've ended up on a really good upswing at this point at all. And, and I'd even back it up a little farther, you know, two years ago when they created that total protection plan, recurring revenue stream, $199 a year, the latest, it, these, this quarterly data didn't have any specifics on it, but we know from their previous quarter that they had their annual <clears throat> report, they had 2 million subscribers to this. So they had created a recurring revenue flow for, uh, for the company two years ago. That certainly, I, I bet you they have added more subscribers to that during the pandemic because people realize they're stuck in their home, they're having a problem, gee, oh, I, let me call it $17 a month and now I've got somebody I can call and have walk me through this process. I bet you that the sales of that went up even more significantly during this time period. Well, also Jason. say that they, they had made a plan earlier, I remember this too, that they had really looked at what they do digitally in terms of their chats and just making sure that the user experience for somebody online contacting them was really, really good. And so already laying that foundation, um, we already know user experience is such a big part of why we either stay on the phone with someone, stay on the computer with someone, go through a chat, I want to get through this quickly and I want to have something resolved for me. They had already laid the foundation to know to do that better before any of this struck. So they were looked at probably as somebody that they, whether you were going to try to find a computer for your child who's now home or something for your elderly parent who's aging in, you know, in real time in front of us right now. Um, you know, what this looks like, we can definitely reach out to this particular organization because it's covering the gamut of all of these things and the user experience is easy. And so I think they'd also done that really, really well. And again, that was something they'd started before any of this happened. Jason, is that one of the biggest things that, dare I say, separates companies like Best Buy from your local integrator? Is that because of, call it, call it scale, call it uh, a push for customer service, call it the fact that they have 
people in, in, in corporate that all they do is care to Samantha's point about the customer experience and, and, and what that is and how that differs online versus in-store versus in their new concept stores versus their pop-up stores, all of those things. How do HDPs compete with that? How, how, do, they, how do they create that relationship to where clients will you know, choose them over Best Buy in this situation? Um, you know, I certainly would never denigrate the customer service that integrators do, you know, and I know one man shops that probably provide better customer service than Best Buy. I know a guy during crisis time as a one man shop, he texts every single one of his customers during Superstorm Sandy a few years ago. Every one of them he texted because they were, everything was out, you know, all mm -hmm. the power was out and and that communication that he created, that one-on-one -on -one communication he created by reaching out to his customers ended up benefiting him from a business standpoint in terms of selling generators and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to say that they're actually necessarily better at it. <clears throat> Maybe just their scale is bigger um, is really the answer there. Because I think a lot of integrators do a really, really good job at pleasing their individual customer base. Is this I one... Is this one of those case studies, if you will, of showing that RMR models in the, the, the tech side for residential? Because we've talked about this a lot. You, you and I have talked about this a yeah. lot. Is this one of those things that really should be used as a benchmark for integrators to, you know, at, at least offer something? Maybe not push it, but at least offer it. Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, barking down this tree forever that in fact you know i think i told you one integrator told me that i've been writing about rmr so much in ce pro that when i die my headstone should not say rip but it should say rmr <laughs> um but no it is absolutely we're, we're slowly seeing that progression we're seeing integrators now you know i think it was two percent now it's up to like eight percent so we're seeing a percentage of their income coming from service contracts and service agreements much more much at a much higher rate so the look at the cash flow that rmr brings you in the fluctuations of the business cycle and the business cycle that just hit right now there's no bigger fluctuation than there's ever been in the history of of the united states that's for darn sure or the world so that that rmr provides a cushion and every integrator should be pursuing it in some way mm -hmm. yeah i i will say that I was even talking to an integrator today in the, in the New York area and he was talking about his RMR side and it's not a huge part of his business, but it's enough that it, it's floated him along in addition to some of the other, you know, programs that are out there, but it's one of those things that's let him continue and, and maintain and, and keep going. So that's a very interesting. All right, let's move on to our uh, next story of the day. This comes to us from aviation.tv. Samsung has expanded their home entertainment and audio lineup, including their first 4K QLED TV for outdoor. Uh, this is very exciting for me because I love outdoor uh, audio video. It's fantastic. Their new consumer model, the uh, Terrace, is launching in the U.S. and Canada following uh, by a, a rollout in Germany and Austria and New Zealand and a couple other regions later this year. It's available in a 55, a 65, and a 75-inch model uh, with 2,000 nits. Yes, 2,000 nits. <laughs> that is brighter. Just if you're unaware, 
that is brighter than most commercial LED walls that are available. Like this thing is going to be a light cannon. Uh, Samantha, let, let's start with you on this real quick. This is kind of the first launch for outdoor audio, uh, or sorry, for outdoor video from the major players mm-hmm. in, in AV. There have been some commercial spe- commercially specific designed uh, sets from LG and stuff like that that can be weather rated, but not to this level. This has an IP55 rating, uh, you know, as I already mentioned, a 2000 nit uh, brightness factor. Normally, this market has been very niche. It has been owned by a couple of smaller manufacturers uh, who have since been purchased by larger, but still smaller manufacturers. <laughs> what does it mean to see Samsung not only jumping into this, but jumping into this wholeheartedly with a full line, with audio, with the entire package? Well, I think it couldn't have come obviously at a better time considering what's going on with everybody. Um, you know, the price point is high. We already had talked about that a little bit earlier. And so, um, you know, I think that's something that we'll have to look at across the board, but it just in general on the topic, I think anytime someone jumps in um, with something that's going to push others to start to take notice of, of a product that is um, going to become more mainstream, it just helps everybody get better. Um, it pushes the envelope. Um, we all know that once tech gets pushed in one direction, it always, always then fuels other tech to get developed a little bit more as well, because typically everything goes hand in hand across the board. So I always get so excited when some of these things come out because I think um, it only makes us all better. It just pushes also um, the envelope on what we need to know um, and what integrators need to know in general, but just everybody in the industry overall. So once something like this comes out, it just, it, just fuels in my mind the need to constantly be pushing the education on any of these things and and how they're going to impact the bottom line for an integrator but also just the knowledge base of what they know what they can push and and when something like this comes out and it's it's you know the price point is where it is it's only a matter of time before somebody comes along and does it cheaper um and still does it great and so i will be very very interested to see what this looks like in about two years probably even a little less time than that yeah very good jason my initial question for you had been along the lines of what, what took them so long? How is this something that has taken so long to be developed? But I, I, so I keep that in the, your pocket because I, I do want you to address that. But something Samantha mentioned was that, you know, it is a pricier product um, and I don't have the, the competitor uh, options available in front of me right at the moment, but a 65 inch is going to be 7,000 US. A 75 inch is going to be 9,000 US. From a price standpoint, they didn't undercut everybody. They didn't come in and make it a, a, a incredibly affordable product that would you know potentially hurt the market. It is still a premium product with a somewhat premium price tag. Is this something that is going to, because it's got a higher price, is it something that is going to push the market? Is, is the, the tech involved going to uh, affect the other players in this world? Because if I've got a house full of Samsung TVs and then my outdoor TV is also a Samsung and I know how to use it the exact same way, I don't have to learn how one of the other S brands works. It, to me, that, that's just most people that are willing to invest money on a 75-inch outdoor TV will just say, yeah, okay, do it. Yeah, I, I guess the, the best analogy I could make to this might be, let's look at what Nest did to the thermostat category, 
they didn't come in with a $39 thermostat. They came in with a $199 or $299 thermostat for a product that never was at that price point before. Now, they, they, they went even higher than, the, than, than um, the existing products, the Honeywells and those that were out there that were dominating the market at, this, at the time. Samsung's coming in with a comparable price. And, you know, Samantha hit all the high points there. But I think the key, the exciting thing for this to me is that they are going to use their marketing muscle to elevate the category in general. Now, look at what happened to the thermostat category from Nest and then subsequently Google who bought them. What they did to that category, um, it expanded exponentially in terms of the number of people who wanted to have, you know, new thermostats put in their home. So um, I, I hope the same thing will happen to here. I don't think it's means it's a death knell by any means to the existing companies that are out there. Um, one of the things that I find interesting, we do a survey every year. We ask what brands people are installing for outdoor video. And obviously Sunbright and Sura and, and Peerless and Stealth and those guys lead the way. But there was quite a percentage of integrators who were installing indoor televisions from Sony, LG, and Samsung outside. Mm-hmm. Now, whether those were under veranda overhangs and they were protected from the weather or whether they were selling an additional environmental enclosure on top of that, I don't know. But people, integrators, even though everything tells you not to do this, there were a percentage of integrators who were installing indoor TVs outside. So now they won't have to, at least in Samsung's case. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and just for comparison, I, I did a quick search and a 75 inch from, again, one of the other uh, S brands is retailing here for 10 grand. So it, it, it's expensive because it's more expensive than the TV you see at Costco, but it's not necessarily out of, out of the line. Jason, what does it mean to see that not only have they done the outdoor TV, but they've also done a full IP55 uh, soundbar? Like, like they, they really jumped in with both feet. Is yeah. that them just going after that that market segment, trying to own it? Well, I believe Samsung's uh, soundbar, if you look at NPD statistics and those sorts of things, was already the one of the top rolling sound soundbars besides Sonos and and. But it was a very not in the custom market. I'm talking direct to consumer mm-hmm. market. The Samsung soundbar, so it makes sense because they've got the name recognition. They're bringing in you know the more expensive TV. We're going to have a companion soundbar, so um, I'm excited by it. Samantha, is this, let me ask you a quick, you know, follow up just before we wrap this, this episode today. What Jason said about what, you know, brands like Sonos or Nest have done to the, to the industry and to the market, right? They've had major impacts. Mm -hmm. Are we, are we viewing this as, to Jason's point, a, a major opportunity to see major brand muscle as far as, Hey, you can put a real quality TV outside. Is, is that something that that industry, that, or I'm sorry, not that industry, but that uh, market segment as far as outdoor entertainment, does it need the boost? Like, is this just gravy on top or is this enough to say, yeah, this, this is a huge deal? I think that, well, 
gravy on top can be a huge deal. So what it does is it starts to spread even further and it, set, it sets the bar high, which continues to make people think about what else can I do? And so even if it isn't exactly that, that is the driving force to make that the piece that everybody wants to you know, mirror something after, um, in, and in this case, I do think that that is going to happen. But even if it didn't, it continues to set the bar high for that space. It just becomes better and better. And so, anytime something like this comes down, um, the the you know comes down the whatever you want to say, you know comes down into our industry. We have to look at it as something that's really important and something that's going to potentially impact and something we need to learn more about. But also then looking for other trends that are going to come down the pike as well, um, potentially to uh, be a part of it. So if it's an outdoor experience that, you know, has such a fantastic, uh, screen in front of us or something that we're able to watch, it's going to be fantastic and beautiful and better than anything we've ever had before. Then what else are we going to do in that space to also then raise the bar for other elements of the experience in general for somebody? So I do think it's, it pushes the envelope across the board. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you can't underestimate the power of brand recognition. You know, nope. 10 years ago, nobody knew any brand that a custom integrator installed. Uh, a custom integrator came with those custom solutions and he came with brands that he knew that he knew. The customer didn't know them, um, even though we knew they, they may have been dominant brands in our space. But that all changed with with Sonos and, and Nest and Bose to a certain extent. Um, and then that created a whole new kind of push-pull marketing where customers were asking for brands. They were calling up and saying, do you install this brand? And that never existed 10 years ago. And I, I hopefully foresee the hap same thing happening on, on the outdoor market side. And whether an integrator carries that brand and then says, look, I've got another even better brand here or another price point that's more suitable for the application, that would be up to them. But I think that brand's going to open the doors. Yeah, that, that has been very interesting to watch the, the, the push-pull that you mentioned there of, of actually getting asked for products specifically uh, opposed from the, the major three TV brands of yesteryears. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, does it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Samantha, if people want to connect with you, learn more about all the uh, online education that Cedia has, as well as just all things in general, Cedia, where can they go and do that? Uh, find me, please, at sventura at cedia.org and, of course, cedia.net. Please reach out. Um, and uh, to me or anyone on the education team, we'd be happy to walk you through any of the classes we have uh, getting ready to launch um, and just answer any questions you have in general. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Jason, you. my friend, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, read some of your articles or uh, learn more about CE Pro, where can they do that? Obviously, they can go to cepro.com or they can follow me on Twitter at, at Jason W. Not. Excellent. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, thank you for uh, clicking in and, and joining us today. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.